0: This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissick. With Rob Brown and Martin
1: Bissick. And thank you to our special sponsors, Iris Software, iris.co.uk. Martin, you saw a great video just recently from Iris, didn't you?
2: Yeah, what I think people don't understand about Iris is they were ahead of the game for MTD Phase 1 because they were the first software vendor to be listed as approved by the HMRC for MTD filing. And guess what? They're fully prepared for the next. So they've got an MTD webinar on demand that you can catch up with at any time. Rob, where do they go to to see this?
1: It's iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. That central Making Tax Digital for our international listeners. And there's some great stuff there that you need to know to guide you through the whole Making Tax Digital initiative. So iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. Right, Martin?
2: That's right. So wherever you are in your journey, Iris know that they have the knowledge and tools to help you in the next steps. That's iris.co.uk forward slash webinar.
1: Hello and welcome to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. My name is Rob Brown and along with my co-host Martin Bissett, we welcome you to This globally expanding podcast, we're a daily show and here's how it works. On Monday, you get all four parts in one go. That is a new section. That's an update on what's happening in the accounting and fintech world. Then a special guest interview with somebody prominent in the accounting and fintech world. Then we show you on a here's what works section, practical tips for accounting professionals to do their job better. And then we have another interview, usually an expert interview on a particular topic. Again, to help you accounting practitioners do a better job, cope with the challenges out there, thrive and be successful. And if you'd like to tune in on Saturdays, we always have a bonus episode and we're doing a series focused on how we can help you sell more, how you can overcome a certain amount of objections and resistance, get those sales through because we know accounting practitioners have a business development angle to their role. It's nice if you can create new opportunities for the firm or practice that you work for. We welcome a few hundred more listeners to our 20,000 listeners all over the world. We're predominantly in the U.S. and the U.K., but we also have strong audiences in Australia, in Canada, in India and another 140 countries. It's great to have you with us along for the journey. And here's a little overview of what is coming up in this week's show. We have, starting off in the news... Martin talks to us about the Accounting Influencers Virtual Conference. The working title is AirCon. I hope you like that one. The Accounting Influencers Roundtable, we've spoken to you about this before, the Air Group is a collection of practitioners and influencers in the accounting world. We open doors for one another, we share market intelligence, and on May the 5th, 2022, we are having our AirCon Virtual Conference. You'll hear more about that. It's exciting and it's a very different format to what you've been used to before and some great CPD, CPE, Continued Professional Development Education for you accounting practitioners listening. Then we've got an interview with David Cristello. He's the founder and CEO of Jetpack Workflow, award-winning software that helps smart accounting firms to track their deadlines and better manage their team. He's the author of the Growing Your Firm podcast, and he's also brought out a book called Double Your Accounting Firm. And we're gonna be talking about how the workforce, the working environment has changed over the last few years. The common workflow traps, the subscription economy and business models in accounting firms and the biggest lessons he's learned from running an accounting podcast. In our here's what works section, we're looking at service delivery. Martin Bissett's been in this game a long, long time and he knows the difference between good and great when it comes to delivering great service for accounting clients. So he's got some tips on what really works for accountants with better service delivery. And then we have a real treat for you with Sabine Charles. She's new on our radar, but this is a formidable woman. She's got 20 years experience in internal audit, accounting, risk management. She's received loads of accreditations and qualifications, got lots of awards, and she has cracked the examination code for people that wanted to get into accounting and all the different governing bodies, regulatory bodies. We talk a lot about that. We answer questions on, What is happening with the accounting profession, who they listen to, what areas of opportunities there are for careers, and something about the mindset of passing exams. There's a lot more to it than we thought. So, without further ado, we're going to get moving with this week's show. There's a lot to pack in. And remember, you do get continued professional education accreditation or certification. For listening to this episode, go to CPE. That is a mobile app. It's a website as well. They credit our content here so you can get all the continued professional development that you need. Enjoy the show. The Accounting Influencers Podcast.
0: Cutting through the crap to bring you the very best interviews, insights, and wisdom from the planet's most influential people in the accounting and fintech world. The Accounting Influencers Podcast
1: welcome to our new section this week where we debate everything that's relevant for accounting practitioners and the ecosystem that surrounds them and this is where we invite usually martin Bissett to share some really interesting news either from what's happening out there or what is happening in here with our accounting influencers brand and the last couple of weeks we've been focusing on what we're doing here with our brand martin one more thing you'd love to share with our listeners this week what is going on
2: Yeah, guys, I told you a bit more. I told you you have to suffer this for a while yet. So the accounting influencers organization has grown significantly. This benefits you, the practitioner, or you, the listener, if you happen to be in the fintech or vendor world, serving the accounting profession. Well, we have a code name for you. The code name is Aircon. Is that a joke? Yeah, it's kind of a joke. But it is code for a virtual summit that you will see arriving Uh, for worldwide practitioners on May the 5th this year. That's May the 5th. Now, the details of how to join are still to come, but you are going to receive for the very, very first time a virtual summit where the speakers are a mix of those in practice, those serving the profession, and those who have been in practice and are serving the profession. But no matter which category they fall into, they have walked the talk and you'll be seeing people who have done it. No theory here. So Aircon, we're calling it, that's because we haven't got a proper name for the virtual summit yet. It'll probably be something wonderful like the Accounting Practitioners Virtual Summit. But right now we're calling it Aircon because that's funnier and easier to remember. But for the very first time, the Accounting Practitioners So the Accounting Influencers Roundtable, I should say, and the Accounting Influencers Organisation is putting on a virtual summit for accounting practitioners. So we want to let you know about it because it's not until May. We're in February right now, but we want you to be able to register straight away when that becomes available, which will be available
1: in just a few weeks for you. And the timing is very carefully chosen, isn't it, Martin, because on May 5th it will be... Around 9, 10 a.m. UK time to 4, 5 p.m. UK time. We'll hit different time zones, obviously, and we'll record sessions. But we're partnering with some interesting people as well on that event, aren't we, Martin?
2: Yeah, and we can't say too much uh, at the moment, guys. But what we can say is that there is no coincidence that this happens a week before AccountEx. Now, for our international listeners, AccountEx is Europe's and possibly the world's largest accounting show. It returns after a COVID enforced absence to the Excel in London and expecting up to 10 1,000 attendees, which is by far and away the largest show that we know about. AccountEx has had a long established relationship with the accounting profession uh, back in 2012. I believe the first show was, or 2011, perhaps. And it's going to be bigger than better than ever. They are diversified. Their organizers are looking forward to bringing it back much bigger than it was before it went away. So with that in mind, that we spoke to Diversified, who are a, a very kind supporter of this podcast and asked if we might put something together that would sort of um, be an appetizer, wait your appetite, really, for the upcoming account text. And if you don't attend account text, don't worry about it. It serves as a virtual summit in its own right. So either way you look at it, if you're an
1: accounting practitioner, do you need to be at Aircon? Yes, you do. And with Aircon comes possibilities for vendors, software, fintech people to commercially partner with us, Martin, to get their message out. We've got some unique propositions for them and we'll be releasing those too, won't they, won't we?
2: Yeah, from a practitioner point of view, guys, you're not going to get sold to. And this is the thing that we love about it. We're going to go, and again, can't say too much just now. Don't you hate news items where you can't say too much just now? But we're going to go down a route that hasn't been done before. We're going to go down a route that allows you to understand value propositions from organizations without actually having to interact with humans. Can you imagine that? Accountants must love that idea. But then there will be an opportunity at the end of the day to take action, should you wish to take action. And in the meantime, what you'll get is proven, road-tested content from trusted, reliable speakers with long track records of serving accounting firms here and abroad. So it really is something that is a first and we
1: are very much looking forward to bringing it to you. Yep, and all of our wonderful listeners here on the Accounting Influencer Podcast, we're hoping you will join us May the 5th, save the date. We've got some great partners, some great speakers, it's virtual, so wherever you are in the world, you will be able to attend. And Martin and I will be hosting that and looking forward to having you there with us. And that is the news
0: improve your practice while decreasing how hard you work to make your firm really fly. Fly. The Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown
1: and Martin Bissett. Welcome to our expert guest for this week and it's David Christella from Jetpack Workflow. David, good day to you.
3: Hey Rob, thanks for having me.
1: David, for people that haven't come across you and the great stuff that you do, just give us a little bit about your background and your areas of passion.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I am the founder and CEO of Jetpack Workflow, so it's a cloud-based application that helps accounting firms uh, really around the world at this point track all of the recurring client work, uh, track those critical deadlines, uh, improve their overall team management, make sure everybody is on the same page. Uh, outside of that, I'm also in the podcast arena like yourself. I'm the host of the Growing Your Firm podcast uh, and co-author of a book called Double Your Accounting Firm. Uh, and then outside of that, I just hang out in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with my family.
1: Well, it's great to have you on the show, David. And uh, what kind of shape do you feel the accounting profession is in generally right now? Because these are challenging times, no matter which way you look at it, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting. Um, and I was about to say, oddly enough, but I don't know if it's that odd when you think about it. But I, I was oddly enough, they've been, I, I think, in in great shape overall. I mean, we can talk about the challenges with with turnover. We can talk about the challenges with burnout or, you know, how to understand your scope uh, of services and stick to that. But I think overall, it's been one of the most resilient industries, you know, through the pandemic, um, which I think at the start of it, we weren't sure if that was going to be the case, but it's clearly been the case and, you know, business owners themselves have adapted and all that's meant is that they need more, uh, you know, kind of advice and advisory services and back office support more than ever as their business model changes, as the nature of their organization changes. So I think there's certainly a lot of challenges ahead. The profession needs to evolve and change, but I think it's been one of the most and a stable ones we've seen through the industry.
1: Yeah, and sure, it's stable because it's a compliance service. Business owners need it by law to stay ahead the right side of compliance, but. You mentioned the word burnout David how do you feel accountants has a breed of dealt with the crazy stuff that's going on
3: look accountants the ones we typically work with at least they love you know serving and showing up for their clients and the clients have had a you know outsized level of demand over the last few years um even though it's still in, in a weird way feels like a few days and other days it feels like a few centuries but and what that means is, you're trying to show up, you're trying to respond, you're trying to keep the same level of services. There's new ad hoc requests coming up all the time, and so I feel like overall, uh, we've we've done a so-so job. We'll call it. We have burned ourselves out as owners. Uh, by extension, we've burned out the team, and uh, we need to very thoughtfully approach work with when and how we say no to things, or even. I mean, I prefer a no versus a not now because that not now you still have to linger in your brain. But, you know, we, we've seen a lot of transformation that comes post-burnout. We see this when they reduce the number of clients they serve, they niche down, they focus on a handful of key services. But I will say it's real. I say it happens, you know, frequently. And I think it's, uh, you know, you're probably in rare air if you've not felt some version of that over the last 18 months.
1: Yeah. David, I know one of your passions is employability, employer brand, the whole employment area, the talent pool, what's happening in the accounting profession? How are things going in the pandemic and how have things perhaps changed?
3: Yeah, I mean, well, the the, the nature of work is fundamentally changed. And not only do we see this moving to, you know, obviously remote only or remote first environments. And I I always looked at hybrid as remote first. Uh, If you're going to offer it, that means that's the default way you have to communicate. If you want to remain sane uh, you can't have in-office conversations that don't live on the cloud or get updated or sent out as a memo later on um, and so that that one's you know certainly interesting but i think what we're about to see if we're if, you know and seeing already is that the full-time employee you know to some extent is diminished and will never come back and so the contractor gig freelancer part-time onshore offshore environment, is going to be a part of every modern accounting firm uh, team's DNA, in my opinion. You're going to have that, and you probably had uh, levels of that in the past, and it's kind of waned back and forth depending on the seasonality of your firm, but I think it's really going to be here to stay as a staple of how you try to supplement capacity in your firm, you know, especially as You know, you might have certain nuanced clients uh, show up with advanced questions and you might need to pull in a consultant. You might might need to pull in an industry expert. That's kind of at the basic level. But I I think you're going to start seeing firms really drive a lot of work-life balance by having this augmentation of part-time fractional or or, or contractor-based team members.
1: That's fascinating. So when you say the full-time employee, accounting practitioner, that's a thing of the past. Do you mean the full-time office employee in the office, present, or do you mean the full-time employee, period?
3: Well, I did mean the latter, so full-time period. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. We're still going to have a percentage of the workforce that is full-time employee, 40 hours a week. They get benefits. They get, re- they get their retirement plan. They're there, and they are stable, and that is not going away. But I would say as a percentage of the workforce, you're going to see that decrease because what's happening, you know, we, we, we saw this in, in 08, 09. Anytime you go through turbulence, it comes out and it just changes the nature of work and it changes the nature of what people expect. And I think we're seeing a growing pool of people that appreciate the flexibility of essentially freelancing or working gigs or doing project basis or, you know, a lot of parents have they've as they've had to be essentially at home teachers say, I want to go, I'm just doing part-time for now. I'm just doing part-time and, you know, we'll figure it out. And I think that's going to remain. I think that's going to be a non-trivial percentage of the workforce. And so for a lot of folks that are competing with talent, you should really consider bringing in folks that are maybe not the full-time employees you used to get, but contractor or freelance as well to help you know, fill some of the major gaps in your firm.
1: Yeah, that makes good sense. What would you say to perhaps leaders, owners of accounting firms that they want to drive culture so they need their people close to them? And yet those people are pushing back. They don't want to go back to the long commutes and trudging into the office, but they do want to be part of something. So there's a balance, isn't there?
3: Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. This is very time consuming. And for folks that used to have an office myself, we always, you know, all of us used to go to the office. You could be in some ways a little bit lazy with relationship building when you had this in the office. And so you know, and, and, and I agree with your point. People are not going to come back in five days a week. I mean, again, there's going to be, I would say, a minority percentage that do, but you can't compete if that's going to be your requirement, in my humble opinion. Uh, and so whereas, you know, like I can recall from our office environment, we had a lot of lunch banter, I'll call it. You know, people would eat lunch together. We had a big lunch room. You could You could catch up on minor work items. You could talk about industry news. You could talk about what's going on with the family or what's coming up this weekend. In a remote world, all of those things have to be planned. <laughs> That's the bad news, right? You know, the good news is you can still bring it back. So guess what? All the time you save on that commute to going to the office, you now have to use that to kind of plan out levels of humanity in a remote world. And I want to be very clear, that doesn't mean you just spin up 19 Zoom meetings a day. There's different tactical ways you can infuse humanity into your firm. And so I I do think asynchronous communication, I do think written communication is at a premium when you're remote, when you're hybrid. And so I do think a tactical element here is, you know, what is the firm owner or partner or leader doing as report outs every week or every month. I'm a big fan of a monthly memo about the state of the firm, maybe, you know, big cultural trends that are on your mind. You can send that out. There's a bunch of kind of new apps that have entered the ecosystem We like one called Donut. It pairs up two random people for a 20-minute chat every week. So you build some of that. Uh, We do our meetings virtually. And, you know, sometimes afterwards we'll do a virtual lunch. And I'll tell you, when you get 14, 15, 18 people in one Zoom room, it can be very awkward, right? And so the thing we're experimenting with now is breakout rooms or what we'll do is we'll spin up a game like a Pictionary, like a Scrabble, something like that, just to kind of align and build and so I think there's fun things that help you make sure that everybody retains a level of humanity. But then, in terms of alignment on where you're going as a firm, I do think you know you should still be running. I think at a minimum, monthly all hands meetings. I love the the, the write ups every month. And uh, you know, frankly, if you can do it, you know, I would say weekly updates if you can. Maybe maybe just a couple bullet points of what's going out and a couple couple shout outs to people you you've you seen do a good job. Um, and so the punchline is it's all doable, but now you have to spend time thinking about it. Whereas before you might've just shown up and your your natural state of being in the office brought people together, helped them feel comfortable and that built trust. You don't have to design these things online, which is time consuming.
1: Yeah, sure. You've given a lot of great tactics there to boss this employment workplace situation. And given the need for an employer brand, the war for talent, Any advice to the leaders, accounting firm owners who are growing, they do want more people in, whether they outsource or do something else, they do want to be attractive to the talent out there, whether that's talent coming into the profession or those lateral, more senior hires. Any thoughts for them, David, on becoming that go-to firm of choice to work for?
3: Well, I think if you are methodically trying to improve the performance and trust relationship in your firm, then your current team is your best source at looking to be an attractive firm, right? Because, because employee referrals typically bring in some of the best team members. And if your employees believe in the firm and where it's going, then I think that's first and foremost you know, where you should start is, and we talked about this a little bit in the past, if you feel like your team is aligned, that makes recruiting a lot easier. They either know somebody, in their ecosystem, or they might even be part of the interviewing or onboarding process. So I think that's really, really important from kind of a cold perspective. Like if you can't get a warm intro from your team, maybe they don't know anybody, everybody's happily employed. I will say the one tactic I've thought about a lot and I've done a lot is I will say, just tell me who you love working with. And even if they're not looking for a job, I'd love to talk to them. I just want to meet great people that could be aligned. Even if we're not going to hire them today, I would love to, you know, back in the day, I would say, buy them a lunch, buy them a coffee. I guess I guess, send them a grub, you know, here, you know, send them a food card, send them a grub or whatever. Um, but I, I think that's a really big thing, too, is even if they're not actively looking, if your current team just knows exceptional talent, start getting on the radar early.
1: We've seen the business models change over the last couple of years. The game has changed. We hear about the, subscri- the subscription economy and how firms are changing their processes. We'll talk about workflow in a moment, but uh, what is the subscription economy and how is that affecting firms, David?
3: Yeah, and to-, and to give credit where credit's due, you know, I first came across this 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 verbiage through Ron Baker. He probably came across it through so and so. I I'm not sure, but. I
1: actually had Ed Kless on the show just recently talking about business models, and he and Ron Baker do the all of Enterprise podcast together. So, yeah, great stuff.
3: Yeah. Well, it's just essentially buying into the premise that the predictability of building things as a subscription is what consumers and businesses want in not only product providers, but in service providers. And so, we've seen this model a lot kind of take hold in the consumer marketplace, whether you're subscribing to uh, a clothing company uh or uh, music or television entertainment's obviously taking hold of it you see this in food subscription uh this is really taking a hold in business as well and you can almost look at you know some of the consumer trends as always being leading indicators of where business may end up three four five six years and it's really taken a hold in businesses and it but i feel still like there's an opportunity for firms to make sure that they both create it and then put it front and center to highlight The predictability and visibility and security you'll provide from a service scope perspective and from a payments perspective, because I think the clients you want to bring on board are the ones that say, yes, I'm happy to pay a few hundred, maybe a few thousand dollars or pounds or Bitcoins or whatever you're charging in to get the scope of services that deliver an appropriate outcome for that client. They are going to retain longer. It's going to be a closer relationship. And it's also going to make you really think about what is a meaningful touch point. You know, is it every month? Is it every quarter to connect with that client? I think every smart business owner is going to lean in that and look for that from their accounting provider. And, you know, I will tell you right now, if you're a firm owner and you're listening and you have clients that are using you plus other financial service providers, maybe you plus an outsource CFO, you plus a bookkeeper, or you plus anybody that's kind of in your arena. If you're not going to figure this out, one of those other two are, and they're just going to move all their services to that to that firm they're working with. Uh, and so I think it's a huge competitive advantage from a client retention perspective. I think the client wins by having that clarity. And I think the long-term value from having a subscription client uh, is, is sizably more than what you're currently doing if you're doing one-off seasonal work.
1: Yeah, makes complete sense. Let's talk about workflow, David. Obviously, this is a topic close to your heart with Jetpack there. What's going on with workflow right now? Because there's so much data going around in accounting firms, so many points, so many things to collaborate on, to share or across different offices. We're all remote now. We need to coordinate things. We need to see things falling through the cracks. Give us a a description of this space currently.
3: Well, I think... By the nature of the team transforming, and we've seen an increase in the number of stakeholders, both internally or externally. So, a client's not just one person, it could be three people, it could be the owner, the admin, plus their partner. Uh, And, like, even internally, it could be your team, it could be three full time employees, plus a part timer, plus a contractor. And, And so, we've seen just the nature of the stakeholders in a work file or work environment increase dramatically. And so, what does that mean? That means you have Uh, And I'm a big fan of workflow and I'm a big fan of people, but the more people you introduce, the more points of failure are likely to happen. And so the nature of workflow right now is that, you know, something we're doing a lot of investigation in right now is passing the baton has never been harder. Making sure that something's been handoff to the client and the client hands it back and you say, God, it looks good, has never been more complicated, more nuanced, and has more points of failure this year than, than any year prior. I think a lot of the work historically has been focused on the task instead of the team. And I think the shift for workflow is they're going to start thinking about all the stakeholders that need to be involved. How you pass the baton between internal departments, internal team members, or between the firm and the client, I think is only going to increase in importance. And you know, frankly, and I kind of put myself in this bucket, we got so in love with the task Perfect task list, the perfect way to describe the task, the perfect task description, the perfect documentation, all of those things, you know, documentation is important. The task list or checklist is important, but it's the team that gets client work done on time. And yes, they need to understand what's going on, but how they work together and how they pass off work is going to be critically important over the next couple of years. If you want to maintain a level of work life balance, profitability, and great client satisfaction.
1: I totally get that. and. There's plenty of workflow traps that we fall into. I might ask you, what is the biggest competitor to Jetpack Workflow? You probably say Excel spreadsheets, and that's the, often the way we track things, isn't it? So, but the game's changing, right?
3: Yeah, well, I, I, I'll talk about two traps, but I would say yes. The, you know, oftentimes in workflow software, productivity software, the two main competitors: one is spreadsheets, and two is. I'm just going to do the same thing I've always done, right? It's hard to move the boulder sometimes when something is working okay or a new fire shows up on your lap and you're like, actually, I got to take care of this. Just had, uh, you know, somebody put in there two weeks, got to figure out that situation before I figure out the workflow situation, Uh, or this is working okay enough. It got us here and, you know, do I really want to do this? But I would say two common traps just from a holistic workflow perspective. You know, one of the classic ones we, we might've mentioned in past trainings is, you know, you, you, you begin the work before you're ready to begin the work or what we call start when ready. So if you are not, if you don't have some level of QA quality assurance process in your checklist you know, if you need to get materials from a client, if you need to get materials from another team member, if you're not actually thoroughly checking to make sure you have all those materials and only then, once you confirm you have all those materials starting the process then you are wasting time and you're wasting money in your firm. And I think there's a big excitement to say, well, we have enough to get started and we'll get the rest of the stuff later. And that creates a huge amount of waste in their firm. And it really covers up a lot of actual inefficiencies because it looks like everybody's working, but then what you don't account for is all the rework they have to do or all the recon uh, contextual work they have to do to get back in the client file. So that's a really critical one. And then the second one I would say is forgetting the client as part of the workflow. You know, how is the client experiencing this workflow? Do they understand what's going on? Do they understand when they're gonna get something? Do they understand what they need to deliver on their behalf? Do they understand how they're going to be communicated with? Uh, we had a firm that actually did something crazy. They asked clients how they want to be communicated with. And they gave them uh, I think it was, I think it was three options: phone, text, or email. Now, good news if you're listening and you're like, I would never text my clients that's great. Just do phone and email. If you say, I'll never do email, doesn't matter. You get to pick It's This is your world you're creating, right? So they had those three. And then they said, look, this is great. We'll text you. And we just want to have, and there's nothing too overly formal, uh, an agreement that says, if we text you, you'll get back to us in a timely manner within two business days from our request. Does that sound reasonable? said, yes. That change, plus actually the start when ready, allowed them to Uh, You know, they had turnover right before tax season. They were able to do the same amount of returns with one less person. So they did that out of need. But the good news is if you're listening, now's a great time to put this in place before you find yourself in a situation where you're down a team member and you have a giant amount of work that's coming your way in 30 days.
1: A revolutionary! Asking your clients what they want—that could catch on, David.
3: <laughs> yeah, there's a phrase that it's it's pretty pretty popular, uh, you know, in, in some circles. We hear it a lot in uh, writing courses. Uh, it's the acronym KISS, which is keep it keep it uh, simple, stupid. I like I like the phrase keep it stupid simple, right? I want I don't want it simple. I want it stupid simple. What is the like, you know? Instead of trying to figure out the most complicated way to connect with clients. Let's just ask the clients, give them two options, document it and send it out. So that's where I'm like, you know, let's even go below simple and stupid simple because there's so much going on. That is usually the best course to take. It's usually the fastest one. And it's the quickest way to build up ROI for whatever you're doing.
1: Yeah, there's a great quote from Jack Welsh, ex of General Electric, who said, any idiot can make something more complex. If you're gonna give me a new idea, pitch it to me like I'm a five-year-old and that really encapsulates it, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, there's there's just one follow up on that. I mean, I think a useful question to ask is if I could only solve this problem by removing things, what would I do?
1: So you've been running a podcast yourself, and uh, it's growing your accounting firm, growing your firm. So, what kind of people listen to that show, David?
3: So they're typically accounting, bookkeeping, payroll firm owners or partners, or those about to start one of those uh, businesses, and. You know, we, we've been doing the, the show for a few years now. And, you know, just, just to give a couple highlights from it, uh, which I think will be very validating probably on your show. I hope
1: you're going to quote my episode now when I came on your show and did a really good interview. I hope this is going to be a highlight. Yeah,
3: one. well, I will say taking care. we talked a lot about team. We talked a lot about, you know, the best way to recruit is to first and foremost, make sure you solidify your base. We, You know, we talk about this on the client level a lot. You know, instead of always going after new clients, new clients, new clients, how are you retaining and on the client front, adding more services or upselling clients. And I thought, you know, our interview was very interesting because you took a contrarian approach, which is to say, let's pause that, focus on the team. How do we retain that team? And that's great, creating great culture, a great environment, making sure that they're aligned with where we're going from a mission vision perspective. So I do think, a, you know, a core aspect of the modern firm owner is that they schedule some time to methodically think about their culture and their team environment. It's almost where we just started you know, a little bit earlier Talking about that is like, the good news is if you're working from home, you have more time, but use that time meaningfully in your firm, you know, uh, if, if, if you need to, if you, if you can. And I think that team retention is a really critical piece. And I think we've all been impacted by the great resignation across every industry. It was like it kind of hit one and then it went to the next and went to the next. We just keep feeling it. You, you know, and I, maybe the final one is not the government We're, I'm hearing from the government, they're having the great resignations. So maybe that's the last frontier of this of this trend. But I think that's critically important. And I, I even though it's a, it's a common point, the other one I want to mention is that, pa- you know, subscription fixed fee packaging plus niching down nine times out of 10 should, should elevate you to a seven figure firm. I mean, we've just pattern matched this time and time again. When you say we do back off, we do bookkeeping for design agencies, we do, you know, tax planning for you know, wealthy retired executives, niching down and being able to deliver a package-based service just catapult your firm. Every single time we, you know, somebody crosses a seven-figure threshold and they have a smile on their face, it's because they've niched down and they've packaged and they have recurring revenue in their business. Every time we've interviewed somebody that is not smiling as much, right? And their hair's on fire a little bit, then it's because they haven't figured out one of those two things. So I don't want to downplay the, the nature that you need to have an exceptional team, you need to build a great culture. But uh, if, you, if you don't align kind of on those second or third options, I mean, you're really going to find yourself just kind of, it's going to be harder and harder to continue to grow.
1: You should write a book called Double Your Accounting Firm. That would be a great... Wait a minute, you already have. (laughs) And I guess this is the kind of stuff that you do. Here it is for those watching on the video. It's uh, Exhibit A, David's showing right now. And and that espouses a lot of the things you talk about in your show, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, well, that's essentially it. It got to a point where the show had so many episodes and we kind of got the same questions over and over again. You know, we decided to, you know, even though you can watch the show at 2X, that's still a lot of time. So if you want to breeze through this 200-page book, you know, in a couple hours, you can kind of download, you know, probably the first 100, 150 episodes, you know, and we, we've chaptered them out from team management to pricing to workflow to M&A. We link up the podcast interviews uh, that that were associated with each chapter. So we give credit where credit's due. Uh, there's probably, you know, on the horizon, a second edition because we've done so many interviews since this first one. But I mean, this is truly the, the best way to get a summary of the podcast.
1: Yeah, terrific. And you've been going a few years now. How many downloads are you up to now, David, with the show?
3: Uh, so I just know it's north of 750,000. Maybe we'll throw like a 1 million download party where we'll send out some cakes or something like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's been a real treat just to, you know, meet some of the smartest firm owners. I'm sure that's what you enjoy about, you know, not that I'm a firm owner, but you, you get to talk with people in the profession and really learn and get new novel insights.
1: What's the biggest lesson you've learned from the podcast?
3: Well, I I think you know, the, those three together is kind of the biggest lesson. I mean, we've talked with either through our software platform or through the podcast. I could tell you, you know, when I when I talk with a firm owner that maybe they're just at the beginning of their journey, they've just hired their first or second employee, and they start telling me about their niche. They start telling me how they've packaged their services. They start telling me or I hear tactical elements of how they're thinking about the culture. I'm like, this is a million-dollar firm. You know, they're, they're going to be five, six, eight, 10 people in the next two years. I mean, this is their game to lose at this point, which is exactly where you want to be. You want to feel like you have all the momentum at your back. And so I feel like, you know, and, and of course, you know, being a software company, you know, I guess it's a default we expect them to invest in some level of, you know, software and applications to help elevate their performance. But those three elements are really the rocket fuel. And when I meet a small firm and they're saying those things, like this is, again, unless unless they trip themselves up, which can happen, of course, this is their firm to lose.
1: David, if people are loving what you say and want to learn more about Jetpack Workflow or your podcast or the book, we'll put your website and your LinkedIn address into the show notes. But what's a good way for them to reach you privately?
3: Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn, David Cristello. Um, I'm sure you can link that up. So if you want to message me, you know, that could be a great way to do it uh, if you want some of the resources that I mentioned so jetpackworkflow.com we'll give you an overview of the software you can start a free trial we have 70 plus workflow templates that that are included in every trial so even if you want to kick it around and see some of the templates I think that's a good use of time if i you know if you want to take a look at the book uh, we have a free digital download in the footer of our website we also have a free digital download of 32 spreadsheet templates so you can start your own checklists. Uh, Of course, you can buy the physical copy on Amazon as well. But uh, go to the website. There's free trials, free books, and free templates. So go check it out.
1: Terrific. So in closing, David, let's get your crystal ball out. Look to the future. We've got AI going on and machine learning. We've got the post-pandemic apocalyptic world and what that looks like. We've got firms trying to pivot and stand out, doing things that are not so obvious. Just pick out two or three pointers for our listeners on what's coming up in the next few years
3: so i do think you know whether it's artificial intelligence or machine learning i just like to call it smart software is on a horizon software that can actually learn what you're doing and provide predictive insights on how to how to do better how to be better how to communicate better how to reach out to your clients sooner analyze your database of work to see what's going well what's not going well where you have capacity constraints for example well before you realize it i think we're still in a world where a lot of things are very reactive you might you might, or, or you catch it just in time. Uh, and so I think, you know, some of the big value in AI from a productivity standpoint, is just, you know, in, inputting a lot of data, understanding what you're doing and giving you intelligent insights on how to improve. I do think that, you know, thinking much further out, the state of finance and contract management from a blockchain perspective is going to be, you know, a true mind bender, we'll call it, over the next decade. And the use cases are obviously still being sorted out, but I do believe it is kind of like in the early 90s. I hope it's the early 90s, not like the late 70s of the internet age. And I think the decentralized work that contract management through the blockchain technology can take on will be really interesting uh, and certainly have implications for the accounting industry. So I'll take on a, one example as we wrap up here. But you know, some of the technology that's coming out now is if you are an artist, you are an author, and you create what you whatever you create a painting a book song we'll go with a painting and uh, or digital painting in this case and you sell it online you sell it online to a notable art collector who once upon buying it immediately increases the value because the market says hey this art collector knows what they're doing they bought this thing so the price goes up and 2 years later that art collector sells it to somebody else and, and then it enters into a, maybe a virtual public gallery maybe it goes to another art gallery you know in the in current state the artist makes money one time. They sell the piece. In the future state, they will be able to have perpetual royalty against their art forever as it gets resold. And so the implications that for accounting and finance and tax and for uh, succession planning and for wills will be really interesting, probably a bit complicated if they ever want to sell their share of essentially that royalty on anything that, they, that they've that produced. Um, and so I do think there's kind of long-term interesting positive implications to 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 blockchain technology both finance and contract management but it's still early and uh obviously they're they're sorting out a a lot of kinks in the machine
1: well we'll get you back on the show in a little while to find out if these are coming to pass we know they're in the domain right now but uh getting more and more use david cristola that's been brilliant thanks so much for your passion and your insights today it's been great Come to our very popular section on here's what works. This is a very practical look for accounting practitioners on what really works, what's proven, what's got evidence for working out with the accounting world. Martin, what's on the agenda today?
2: Well, Rob, I specialize in getting in trouble professionally and personally. And in 2017, I did a little tour, a little public speaking tour uh, with a title of the Secrets." of superior accounting firms. Now, that word superior is what got me in trouble because in the US, these, the word superior was seen as somehow bad. It's like, what, you're saying that we are better than the competition. That's absolutely what I'm saying. And we didn't like this idea of superiority in the audience because it suggested that we somehow had to raise our game. Isn't that accountant centric? So a lot of firms come to me uh, to this day and talk about the struggles they have with service delivery, whether that's born out of poor recruitment whether that's born out of little profitability in the pricing and price sensitivity or whatever it happens to be. And what I recognize, Rob, is that practices regard service delivery literally, which means that they actually believe that what the client is buying is the delivery of the books and records and the filing of the VATs and tax and whatever else uh, taxable return you might have. But that's not the reality. Because when you speak to business owners, that's not the reason they engage their accounting firm. That's a vehicle, a means to an end. So, on service delivery, guys, have a think about this. A superior accounting firm, one that makes more money than you, one that makes more profit than you, one that recruits better staff than you, one that has more market penetration and recognition than you, et cetera, and so on. A superior accounting firm does not deliver to their clients books and records, audit, payroll tax, bookkeeping, cloud accounting services. These are the service lines, guys. This is not the service delivery. The service that you are carrying out and delivering for your clients are intangibles, not tangibles, those are tangibles. Here's what they, here's what they, the client, really buy from you and really want to buy from
1: you. And are you teeing up here, Martin, moving from service delivery to service experience?
2: Yeah, absolutely right, client experience. Here's number one increased self-esteem. When you get someone's financial affairs in order, when you get a business's personal guarantee back from the bank, when you get a business out of their overdraft facility, they start to feel better about what they do and who they are. They start to have more confidence in their sales efforts. They start closing deals. They start performing better as a business. Their self-esteem increases as a result of your remedial work. You increase a client's self-esteem and that's why they buy from you and that's why they stay with you. Number two, you save businesses. Businesses that would have gone out of business without you. Businesses that would have attracted court action without you. Businesses who didn't know how to budget or forecast without you. Businesses that were going to owe their suppliers without you. You have delivered a saved business. And here's an even weirder one for you. You deliver saved relationships. Can I prove it? Yes, I can prove it. How about this? A business is in turmoil. A business owner, regardless of who they are, a business owner takes it personally. It's their business. What do you think happens when they go home? Do they magically switch off from all this? Do they magically decide that, oh, well, maybe tomorrow will be a better day? No, it comes home with them. Their frustration, their self-loathing, their self-questioning, their irritability, their fear, their doubts, their worry. It all goes home with them. Guess what that impacts? That impacts home relationships. Guess why? Because if it fails as a business, they fail as an individual, they fail as a provider, they fail as a partner or spouse, they fail as a mortgage payer. You, the accountant listening to this, save relationships. So if you wanna know what, what works in service delivery, change your language. Don't we'll start talking in terms of we do, we have a specialist tax department, because nobody cares except you. What we, the client, want from you is to feel better about ourselves, our businesses, and our personal and professional relationships. And it's your technical expertise that brings that to us. That's why we stay, that's why we pay you more money next year. That is a
1: secret of a superior accounting firm, Rob. I'm loving that, Martin. And you're moving from the tangibles, as you said, to the intangibles, which are a lot more emotional. It's not what the accounts give you, it's what they do for you as a result of that. And that is in the realm of health, wealth, peace of mind, confidence, just the means with which to deal with everything that life is throwing at you. And if accountants started to use a VTY vocabulary, that's a value to you vocabulary, as you said, they would stop talking about year-end accounts and management reports and start adding, and the value to you of this is. And sometimes they've got to articulate that to the clients because the clients won't say, I'm buying because of this peace of mind. They have to communicate that, and then it clicks in their mind, doesn't it, that behind everything, it's this emotional stuff I'm buying.
2: That's right. As the old maxim goes, logic makes us think. Emotion makes us act. If you want us to act, don't make a logical argument to
1: us. Give us an emotional argument. And that is what works for accounting practitioners in moving from service delivery to service experience. Let's put it into practice.
0: You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. Cutting through the crap to bring you the very best interviews, insights, and wisdom. From the planet's most influential people in the accounting and fintech
1: world with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. And welcome to our special guest interview for this week on the Accounting Influencers Podcast. I am thrilled to have with me today the legend that is Sabine Charles. Hello to you. Hello. Greetings from across the pond, Sabine. For people that haven't come across you and the wonderful stuff that you do, just give us a little bit intro so we get a flavor of your world.
4: Well, I actually help people, professionals, pass certification exams. I help people learn how to learn so that they could get certified and become a a stronger individual and professional and make money.
1: Mm. Now you do that in a number of sectors, but principally accounting because that's your background, isn't it? You are an accountant by trade.
4: Exactly. I actually graduated with a degree in French and Spanish literature and then went back to school and got a degree in accounting and economics, a master in accounting, and now I'm working on my doctorate on emotional intelligence and leadership in the accounting world. So primarily the things that I focus on in terms of helping professionals, are mostly in the space of accounting, auditing, information security, and risk.
1: Now, you've been doing this a long time. Has the species, the breed of accountants changed over the years, or is it the same as it ever was?
4: Uh, You know what? That's a very good question, because the breed of accountants have changed because our environment has changed, and the exams have changed. So it's just so many variables in this equation that makes it challenging for everyone to really kind of keep up. And with the rapid changes of an insertion of technology in our lives kind of make us a little bit crazy. So the breed of accountants, yes, have changed, evolved, if you will, but then that makes it a bit more complicated to keep track and to keep our professional lives moving forward in development.
1: Yeah, we'll talk about CPE, CPD to a degree. But you mentioned there that the, the certifications, the qualifications have changed. I've heard different things from people that have been on the show and that the accounting qualifications haven't changed that much over the years. I mean, double entry bookkeeping is double entry bookkeeping. And maybe a criticism leveled at the profession is that they haven't changed as much as they should have done because the world we live in right now is very different to 100 years ago. What would you say to that?
4: Conceptually, concepts have not changed, but the questions have changed. So like you said, debits are debits, credits are credits. So conceptually, the underlying things they want you to learn have not changed. However, the way they test has to have changed. Like, I'm just gonna pick the CPA exam, the CIA, they all evolved. But the CPA exam used to be more multiple choice. Now it's 50-50 multiple choice in conceptual thinking, what they call simulations. So the way they're really approaching to get accountants ready for the world is that not only you're going to have to just memorize and be a robot and kind of just recall things, but you're going to be you need to be able to utilize the information that you've you've learned into a, in a in a, a scenario or situation. So that is what has changed, and that's what makes it difficult.
1: Yeah, would you say the examinations these days are more
4: rigorous than they used to be? That's a hard question again, because look, at the end of the day, learning, people have learned differently. So is it challenging? I think it's challenging for each of the groups that are taking the exam, because back in the day, and I'm aging myself, we used to learn penmanship, you know, calligraphy, or you know, script, and some they call it, right? They don't even do that. My son is like, he's like, mom, I don't have to write, I just type it in. So the way they're processing information is somewhat different.
1: You bring up a very interesting point. There's qualifications here in the UK called A-levels or advanced A levels, and even the ones below that. And the pass marks are getting higher, but also the number of people passing are getting higher. So the criticism is that the exams are getting easier, but in actual fact, the kids are studying smarter. They've got different ways to take in information. Everything's YouTubeable, if you like, everything's Google. You can find these thought leaders and great people like you that teach people how to learn. So exams that are just as hard as they were, perhaps have a higher success rate because people are studying better. Would that be fair?
4: And then there's some people who are just falling behind because they haven't evolved. Because I'm also an adjunct professor. I didn't really speak about that, but I used to be an adjunct professor and I teach accounting on the graduate and undergrad level. And I see the change of student quality. A lot of them are just looking for A's. They're not necessarily engaging or wanting to learn. They want the A, which means they're willing to do anything and memorize things and try to cram, which doesn't necessarily work for certain certification exams. So it really is a double-edged sword. The answer is yes and no, depending on the examination and the student that's in front of that examination. Because if they've never developed a good way of studying and all good way of studying or understanding their learning style, then they're not gonna be successful. I mean, we've all read about people who have not even completed college, who are millionaires and who are able to thrive because the way they were being trained in those university settings just wasn't commensurate with their learning style, which caused them to fail out. So it's not always just the student and their student ability. You have to kind of take the responsibility back to the institution and how we're presenting information. I, and even in my boot camps and these training courses I do, I actually train someone in the mall. She is a shopper, she, and to help her pass an exam. So I correlated and I did some memory palaces, which is a whole cool concept, to go through the mall and I teach her accounting concepts using analogy so that she could comprehend it. Like, so it depends on how you process information because. Any, I think everyone is successful. Everyone is smart, but you have to just know how to tap that smartness.
1: I get that. We will dip into learning stars a little bit more. Are the accounting qualifications that you teach fit for purpose? Do they ready CPAs and accountants and auditors to come into the crazy world that we are now living in, in your opinion? Though I, this is my bread and butter, I say no. I was hoping you would say no and be controversial because uh, a lot of people tell me it's, it's the world has changed. No. Well, you get on your soapbox and have a
4: little rant for me, Sabine. But What's the deal? Well, this is why I started another piece of my business called the Audit Leadership Programme because I realize people are just passing exams and they're just not ready with soft skills. They need to be able to conduct the meeting. They need to be able to think and not just do, or even when you're stuck, knowing that there may be an alternative solution. And that's the piece that I feel like we're missing or we're losing as we're going through generation to generation, that ability to think.
1: The soft skills are hard. And the maybe the qualifications play not to deem the soft skills important because that's learned on the job that's learned in situ if you like they're just teaching the technical skills but maybe they have a responsibility to do more than that to equip people to do the job
4: so then why do they they screen people using certifications so they actually get people in saying if you can't pass a b and c then you you can't do the job this is why i'm doing my doctorate to really think think and analyze the question, the correlation between emotional intelligence and the my pool of research around people who are active CPAs and leadership, their performance leadership. Is there a real correlation between that? Because we're putting so much emphasis on getting this thing that may not necessarily help them to propel and be leaders in the organization, or is it? That's the question that I'm trying to answer.
1: It's such a great point, and I can't wait for that to come out. Uh, I've said on previous podcasts that there are five key skills that a modern-day accountant or CPA needs. Technical skills is number one. That's the foundation. You've got to know about your tax and and how the double-entry bookkeeping works. Beyond that, technological skills, because given the rate of technology, as you hinted earlier, professionals need to know more than how to turn a computer on and off. And thankfully, the generation coming in, they're more digitally savvy, and we might speak more about that. The third one is commercial skills, business awareness, business acumen, thinking like an entrepreneur rather than thinking like an accountant. The fourth one is people skills. You've hinted at that, kind of the soft skills, and leadership would come into that, but knowing how to present, knowing how to persuade, knowing how to critically think and argue and communicate with people. And then the fifth one is selling skills. So the ability to create opportunities, to innovate, to lead, to persuade people on here's my idea, here's my argument, here's my vision, here's my initiative, buy into this, agree with me. And all of those skills are critical. And the examinations teach a very small part of that, don't they? The technical, basically.
4: Exactly. And I really like the mark. I would like to talk about marketing and selling. That's where I think we need some help. The marketing skills internally, we need to do better marketing. Why? Because again, if we and selling, so then being an accountant, you could move into tax audit or doing external reviews. Those are kind of the three main areas. Right. And if you're an auditor, let's just say you have to sell your recommendation. You have to have people buy in or else we become last on the list. And this is where they talk about audit auditors. Internal auditors is the needing to add value to the organization. And if we cannot sell our recommendations or be valuable, they just don't bring us to the room. And at the end of the day, when we talk about being a trusted advisor, what does that really mean? And we need to step up and level up and get those skills that you mentioned. I believe technology, for sure. The certification, getting a specialty, for sure. But we need to sell our skills. We are internal auditors. Let me kind of group it a little bit. Internal auditors should be the in-house strategists. We are the inside strategist. You don't need to buy and go get a consultant because the people inside are the, I think internal auditors are the savviest people there because one, they kind of understand the whole business. They understand the risk factors. And if you have a good internal audit firm uh, team, then they are continuously getting these CPEs and getting trained and understanding and kind of leaving their immediate grouping To learn. And that's that business business acronym, that business savviness that you've talked about, because we need to just say, you know what, I need to take a class and pick a topic, information security, even though it's completely out of my domain, or just say, you know what, I need to understand ESG. What is that? Just really completely off the beaten path, because with that, that helps you become a more creative think.
1: Love that. Love the internal strategist analogy there. And you're talking about developing the skill of being able to tell the story behind the numbers, making your reports, your recommendations come alive, having more influence and a voice that's persuasive, that gets people to take action. That's the sign of a leader, isn't it?
4: That's right. And is the certification, again, going back, the do-all, the catch-all, I think it's a stepping stone. It gives us that, okay, at least he or she could actually get that technical skill. We tend to to stop the education pathway, and learning It should be essential and the core for everyone, regardless of profession, so that you could continue to add that value, continue to develop yourself. Forget. you know what? At the end of the day, you need to make yourself proud. Make yourself proud. That's my motto. Make yourself proud, because if you make yourself proud, Everyone else will see that. And making yourself proud is continuously to better yourself. And that does professionally, emotionally, family life. I mean, it goes on because it does trickle through.
1: Well, we have CPE, Continued Professional Education, you call it over there. And our podcast is actually CPE accredited. In the UK, we call it Continued Professional Development. But that's a discretionary thing for some accountants. They do the technical stuff to stay compliant, to stay on the right side of the law. But the rest of it, business development, building your network, building your personal brand, acquiring different skills, that commercial acumen, learning about environmental, social governance, the ESG, the other stuff. That's done in my spare time when I'm not billing hours. And I'd rather play golf or spend it with my family or have a little bit of downtime. And investing in yourself is hard.
4: But investing in yourself should be primary. Because at the end of the day. I mean, I'm speaking in the point of view as a woman mother. If I am tapped, I cannot be helpful. If I'm sleep deprived, I cannot be helpful. So it's the same analogy. If you're not grooming and pouring that water over that plant of knowledge in your brain, then you're not going to be helpful. And, you know, you're going to prioritize. It's a priority. It's like you need to go to the gym, right? You got to do what you need to do to get yourself better. And if you're not going to do it, no one else is going to do it. So you have to kind of figure out what is your priority.
1: Well, hey, everyone knows they've got to stay in shape, but not everyone does it. It's not a priority for everyone, as you're saying. Let's jump jump back to technology a moment, Sabine, because you said that people are learning differently now. There's a lot more technology at their fingertips to help them learn in better and smarter ways, as well as the the stuff that you do. But the qualifications, certifications themselves, do they incorporate more of a technology angle given what's going on, or, or is it still the technical stuff it used to be?
4: It's slowly changing. Some of these exams are slowly getting there. Some of them are doing better than others. I, again, I don't want to poo poo or say anything negative about any certification, but some certifications are a little bit behind. They're in the 1990s. And some of it's because I not only train accountants, I do information technology. So some of them are a little bit behind, but which means these entities, these monster entities, are sometimes harder to move through change.
1: Big ships turn slowly.
4: And so that's what's happening. Because accounting, eventually, a lot of it is logic-based, right? So you could get AI to do it. But then that intelligence piece is the only thing that we have left, if you think about it.
1: You're heading into the compliance advisory debate. We know there's downward pressure on a lot of stuff that auditors and accountants do. It's being put into the cloud and into artificial intelligence. I just wonder... We heard a story recently, and we featured it on this podcast, Sabine, where a client, a business client, had engaged a non-accountant to do the work because they were zero certified or QuickBooks certified. They weren't a qualified accountant, but they wanted someone that was tight on the bookkeeping, that could offer a little bit of advisory, knew what was going on behind the numbers. And they engaged a firm that had no qualified CPAs or accountants. Is that a, a An indictment, if you like, on the the CPA, the accounting qualifications, what might be going on there?
4: At the end of the day, organizations need thinkers. They need people who could process info. It goes back to how do we teach people how to think? Just because you're a CPA doesn't mean that you're going to make money or you're going to be a good CPA. It just means that you pass the exam. What's after that? Again, that goes back to backfilling and understanding the key things that you need. Once you get that together. The CPA is just one column of success. You need to kind of move through. So having somebody who's, they they saw something, they saw something in that person. And this actually, this leads me to a story. I actually started out not having any certification. I had a job offer. They said, you're great. I had zero certification to run an internal audit function, which is kind of big for an accountant, but I had no certifications. And so they saw something in me and they said, you know what, we want you to take this job, but you need to get your certification within a year's time. I said, hey, that's not a big problem. I could actually get my certification in a year's time, but they actually put it in my contract. At that time, I didn't realize the amount of stress that I put on myself for me to pass the certification And which caused me to fail over and over again. So which increased the stress level. So when I even opened the book, I was having anxiety. So during this certification journey, I took so many review classes. I did self-help. And then eventually I passed. But then all of that helped me realize that there's a combination of both sides of our brain, right? So there's the emotional side and then the technical side. And they play hand in hand. So we can't just ignore one side of our being. And that's why I started my business, TAPA Institute, to help people pass. And so it goes back to when organizations are looking at people, they need to look at them holistically, not just looking at the technical skills, though they're quite important. And I believe that's why we need these CPEs, not just to say, yeah, we did it and done, but we need to kind of put that CPE piece into it, into our DNA. So that it is part of the development of organizations, not only for the individual, but for organizations. So CPEs right now is kind of like, oh, gosh, I need to get some because I have 20 or 40 or whatever it is. Great. I need to get that within a a year's frame. And you're kind of trying to figure out I need to be billable. I think organizations are missing the point and we're trying to figure this out where we need to start investing back into our employees and perhaps CPEs should be done differently. So that's really kind of something we need to flesh out a little bit more. So that's the bridge between keeping business, making money while you're keeping your employees happy and moving towards development.
1: I couldn't agree more. Continued professional education though is very focused on the technical and a lot of it doesn't attract CPE, CPD points. So building your network, building your personal brand, taking an extracurricular course, creating content, putting out thought leadership, writing articles, going around businesses and factories and seeing how things work, talking to people, attending conferences. This stuff isn't CPE accreditable. And that's maybe part of the problem because we do what we have to. And I'm speaking from experience here. Regular listeners will know on the show that I'm a former high school math teacher. So I got out of teaching after eight years because I was teaching kids to pass tests. But I wasn't educating. Exactly. And I wasn't equipping them for life. I was teaching them to go through a curriculum and play the game and succeed at the game.
4: This is why I stopped teaching as well and started. Yeah. Because, I mean, they just want the A. And then when they don't win the game, they break down. (laughs) That's what has happened. That's what's happening now again nowadays because we're seeing the uprise of mental illness and stress. Because I have had people sit in my office. I mean, I was just afraid to have them leave because they were so distraught they did not get an A. They don't understand the material, but they're just so frustrated. So I understand what you're feeling and why you got out of being a math teacher, though you were passionate in what you were doing, I'm assuming. But then again, at the end of the day, your your passion is to help people learn and progress while their perspective, and that's been translated to them, is to get an A and just to kind of, you know, figure out the tricks.
1: And you're trying to equip them for life and the world of work. And they're saying to you, why do I need Pythagoras's theorem? Why do I need algebra? Why do I need to be doing this differentiation? And they've got a really good point. And listen, I've got to ask you, you're talking about super smart people here that are, even looking at accounting as a career. So how do you teach them to learn how to learn?
4: I don't think people
1: are smart. Okay, perhaps I'm being over-complimentary about them.
4: I don't think people are stupid. I really don't. I really think people need to be persistent.
1: Is everyone coachable?
4: I think everyone is coachable. You just have to know how to do it. I mean, if you have people with mental illness and capacity issues, that's like a different conversation. But everyone is coachable. Is it worth it? If someone can't add, you know, not mathematically inclined and then you're teaching them algebra, it's going to take them a long time, maybe 15 times longer than someone who has that gift in math.
1: And in teaching them to learn, there's a great quote by Eric Hoffer that said, the mark of an educated person is the degree to which they are willing to let go of old ways of thinking to embrace new ways of thinking. So in teaching them to learn how to learn, do you have to break down some old habits and open up their mind to new ways of going about things?
4: Yes. So when I first start with my clients, the first thing I do is skills assessment. I assess where they are. Then I call myself the mirror. So sometimes we don't want to look at the mirror like, oh, I have wrinkles, I have gray hair. I just don't want to look at that mirror. And so I am the mirror for the first two sessions. And I tell them that's going to be the most difficult because I analyze what they're doing. I give them a small um, a, a test just to figure out their learning style. And then we go through what they're doing to see if it's helping or hurting. And then we decide, is this helping? Are you taking notes effectively? Are you just taking notes because everyone else is telling you to highlight, take notes, circle, add words to some page without sitting back and processing the information? So sometimes we have been taught to do things and we just take it as truth. And we just continue to do it without really processing whether or not it's helpful. So I do a skills assessment and then I tweak and I tell them and I teach them some techniques that I've used on myself to have about 13 certifications at this point. And so, because I test these things on me, I don't necessarily think I'm smart. I think I'm persistent and I figured out how to crack the code. Cracking the code is really understanding self and how you could absorb that information and the dedication if you're willing, if you want something, you're going to put that time in. If you're not good at something, you're going to put the time in. Sometimes I have rejected clients where I say, this exam is not for you. Perhaps you want to consider A, B, and C. That's the hardest conversation. But sometimes things that we think we want is not necessarily what we need. Tough love. And now what I've done as well, I'm a certified hypnotist.
1: Of course you are, because there's, There's 101 qualifications you've got and a thousand one you haven't. So why not get some more?
4: It's breaking down the way you think. It's completely off the beaten path. How can an accountant? Well, you walk in the walk. Exactly. And so to your question, you know, you have to let go of the way, the traditional way of thinking and learning and then kind of embrace and that's scary new things. Because most of my clients are like hypnotists. You're going to make me bark like a dog. Like, what are you going to do? And I use hypnotism to help them stay calm and so that they could recall information quicker.
1: Sabine, you work with people all over the world, individuals and organizations. If they're loving what they're hearing here and want to find out more about the great stuff that you do, what's a good way for them to reach you?
4: Oh, they could reach me on my website, tapainstitute.com, T-A-P-A, institute.com. And also, I have two summits coming up. One called Level Up Internal Audit, which is in February, and it's a global, global event where we have people from Egypt, Germany, the United States, and it's CPE eligible. And so we have, we're going to talk about blockchain, we're going to have data analytics, we're going to talk about those soft skills, cybersecurity, how to be effective in audit. So that's one summit. And then I have another summit, and I have these summits twice a year. And I have another one called Pass Your CPA. And where I give a holistic approach on passing, not just doing questions, multiple choice questions, figuring out time management, figuring out how to absorb the information, some of the things that we talked about earlier. So, again, TAPA Institute, T-A-P-A Institute is where you can find me.
1: Great. We'll direct them there. Final question to finish off. What advice or words of encouragement, wisdom would you give to the accounting practitioners or even would be? accountants listening that want to level up? They want to raise their game. They want to do more. They want to make
4: themselves proud. Well, I would say continue learning and get out of your comfort zone. If you're not, if being an accountant, we tend to be very conservative. And so we need to get out of our shyness. If you're shy or you just don't like talking, well, maybe do a Toastmasters Join Toastmasters, kind of get in front of the room.
1: Well, you're making all the introverts feel really uncomfortable now, Sabine.
4: But then that's the point. Or do something completely off the beaten path. Follow something that you enjoy. So a lot of times I, I used to make a joke that accountants are actually artists who are afraid. That's what I usually say, because when you start talking to accountants, you see their pa- They do accountancy because it's steady. They feel comfortable. It's something that's I, I can't think of the word, but just kind of
1: it's safe. It's secure. It's black and white. The numbers are right or they're wrong.
4: And then, then when you really talk to them, you start really realizing their passion. So I have some accountants who are artists. Accountants who want to be interior designers. Well, guess what? Do that so it can balance out your being. So that's what I would tell accountants. Go out there and enjoy life. Do what you have to do to get the money, do it so that it could allow you to kind of do that artist or do interior decorating or whatever activities that you would like to do.
1: Sabine Charles, that's been so inspirational. Thank you so much for your passion and your insights today. It's been great.
4: Thank you for having me.
0: This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett.
1: Goodness me, that's another episode down of the Accounting Influencers Podcast. You've been listening to the Monday show. We go out to accounting practitioners all over the world, 20,000 or more unique listeners. Now, we know that a lot of our audience listen to multiple shows because we're over 100,000 downloads lifetime. There are some bigger ones out there that have been going a little bit longer. We're really proud of our listenership and it's CPAs. Uh, certified public accountants, accounting practitioners, accounting professionals in practice that want to do their job better. Thank you for tuning in. You've been hearing about the launch of our aircon event. That's the accounting influencers roundtable virtual conference taking place on May the 5th. We would love to see you there and more details will be coming out on that shortly. You heard from David Cristello on workflow best practices for accountants. He's the founder of Jetpack workflow and he's got some great insights on the common workflow traps that firms fall into and what best practice looks like for good workflow in accounting firms with all those data points that you've got. And then in our here's what works section, Martin talked about better service delivery. He's been doing this a long time. He draws on the very best practical knowledge that really, really works. And delivering great service to your clients is absolutely critical in these challenging times and we finished off with an interview with the wonderful and formidable sabine charles she's been in this game a long time as well multiple qualifications with multiple professional associations regulatory bodies qualified to the hill and she knows what it takes to pass exams and be successful in the world of accounting and finance so Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Keep on sharing it with your friends. Whatever platform you listen on, it would be great to have a review from you. And uh, give us five stars if you're feeling generous. And remember to tune in on Saturday as well. We don't run the Saturday episode in this Monday one, but on Saturday is a bonus. And we're continuing our series of why accountants don't sell as much as they should do, why they don't win the client, and why those clients don't buy. And we're talking about not walking the talk that's an interesting one coming up so check that out thanks for listening thanks for being part of the show thanks for sharing it with your friends we'll see you on the next episode
0: this is the accounting influencers podcast with rob brown and martin visit